This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we do something and talk to people about blank stuff and then they tell us about their blank moments. So good that I've done the intro this week. Um, you'll find out why later on in this episode why I'm doing the intro and not Giles. There's normally smooth um, intro and it was me instead this week. But I am mm. Jim Daly and joining me, of course, Charles Paley Phillips. Hello, hello to you. How was that experience of not being the intro man? Mm, when I sort of started to, because we can see each other obviously on Zoom, I started to wander away from the microphone and started pointing at you. <laughs> I think you were like, oh shit, I've got to do the intro. I just and forgot. Then froze and actually went blank. I think you went blank uh, at that moment. Earliest, earliest blank moment on the podcast? Mm, the po- possibly, yeah. 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 So well, well done. Well done for happen. keeping it on brand. <laughs> What we should have done is taken the advice of this week's guest, Callie Beaton, the wonderful Callie Beaton, uh, and got you to actually write down what the intro was. Um, but I'd forgotten until that moment when the uh, the music sting was playing that I was doing the intro this week. Yeah, but anyway, I was going to say sometimes it's better to sort of. Well, I'm going to say sometimes it's better to wing it, but obviously clearly you've shown that it's not always as good. <laughs> but I think sometimes when it's written down, it's there's more pressure in a way. Like when we have to yeah. do like ads, ads and yeah. stuff. We have to record it several times, don't we? Because we always fuck it up. <laughs> Not always. We've got better. We've got a lot better. Well, I always fuck it up. <laughs> but I do think you you read things differently written down than I think when, mm. then if they come out of your head, definitely. Um, but anyway, the reason that I was doing it this week is something we talked about with, with Callie on this week's episode uh, of changing the roles and getting me to do it. And I think it's safe to say that I won't be doing it again for some time. Um, no, it was quite fun. Quite. Does that mean you're going to do the outro? For, start yeah. the outro then? And no, you, got so. you got to introduce the guests as well. Yeah, I know. So I've got this pressure yeah. on me now. There we go. Now I'm anyway, starting to get a bit nervous. <laughs> I'm starting we get into? Perspiring a little bit now. Before we get into the pressure moments, how, how are you doing? How's your week been? Good, yeah, busy. Busy, busy, busy. Although I, I find myself, because I often go down to Backers Coffee Shop, as with uh, yeah. the famous Backers, in the mornings, and that's kind of how I often start my day. And I 
I tend to do like emails and stuff down there, but I often get talking to people and I think a lot of people don't think I do any work because <laughs> I'm often in backers talking to people. Chatting away. Um, but I do genuinely have lots of things going on. I am actually employed to do lots of stuff. Um, as much as uh, so, if anyone's listening and they go to backers and they uh, they see me in there, I am working right as much as I am also enjoying myself. Just want to set that record straight. Yeah, because yeah. Um, I think yeah, there's a, there might be rumours going around that I don't do anything. <laughs> Maybe, and there's no smoke without fire. Indeed. <laughs> um, listen, let's let's introduce this week's guest. It's the fantastic comedian Callie Beaton. Um, you may have seen her on QI, you may have seen her on Pointless, uh, you may have seen her at the Edinburgh Fringe doing a run of four-star shows. Fantastic. You comedian. might have seen her doing a corporate gig. You might have seen her doing corporate or doing uh, lots of public speaking gigs. Very prolific, absolutely fantastic person. Very easy to chat to. And we had a really, really interesting conversation that, uh, well, it went to all different places, didn't it? It did. And actually, if you Google Callie Beaton, you will, it'll come up as orator. Oh yeah, so it doesn't come up as comedian, or you know, it comes up as orator. Could could we be you and I be put ourselves down as orators, seeing as we do a podcast? Um, well, what I was going to say was it perfect for Callie because she is very good at speaking and obviously very good yeah. at public speaking. I would not be very good at public speaking, um, so I don't think I would class myself as an but orator. A, pod- a podcaster is an orator, surely. Well, we're just hosts, aren't is we? It? I think, I think hosting's not. slightly different. We're presenters, I guess, aren't we? Yeah. We should say as well that Callie also has an excellent podcast. She Namaste. Does. Namaste, motherfucker. Brilliant guests on the other week, weren't they? So great guest last week. Two two orators mm. uh, in the podcast world, actually. <laughs> or presenters. Um, she's, uh, yeah, so do check that out. There'll be a link below so you can check that out as well. And uh, yeah, fascinating person. Great story about how she got into stand-up. Um, some great name dropping. I mean, honestly, this episode's got everything. Oh, no, it's a brilliant episode. And... Kelly was very candid about actually that brilliant story that, that a lot yeah. of people know about her getting into comedy. I won't give anything away, no plot spoilers. But there actually was a, a more challenging part of that as well. It wasn't yeah. just this yeah. sort of amazing kind of eureka moment. It was uh, there was a challenging part of that, and we talked a lot about the menopause, uh, women getting into their late forties, early fifties, and and having that or pre pre menopause actually, where it can be quite challenging mental health wise. Mm. And there's some stark statistics out there regarding you know like relationship breakdowns and things like that and um and also having very severe mental health issues and and sometimes suicide rates are very high in that age so stuff that we'd never talked about in the pod before and i think you know uh i think a lot of people listening will that might be the first time they've heard about it or will, will have that knowledge about about the menopause and and those moments in in life and it was really great that callie felt comfortable to talk about that stuff Absolutely. I mean, probably a subject that doesn't get brought up very often on a podcast hosted by two blokes. Well, no, no. And that's good that it was because, you know, I think you and I learned a lot of stuff as well. Absolutely. And and that's that is basically the aim of podcasts, isn't it? For everyone to try and learn something, Mm. especially us, especially you and me. You know, I think that's very important. So, yeah, Callie raised some really important issues, but was also just a fantastic guest to talk to and just just incredibly funny, very easy to talk to. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun this episode. So would you, Giles? like to do the honours of introducing the guest. Yes, on this week's podcast, it's Callie Beaton on the blank podcast. I said podcast twice. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) That's rubbish. 
laid back but I'm trying to sort of do the and then occasionally my actual children want some parenting and I get very resentful how dare yeah, you yeah, yeah. you've been calling me yeah well, I'm a bit <laughs> like that with our cat I'm like oh yeah the cat needs feeding and, and stroking and looking after but I've had a really bad day at school mm, come on <laughs> the kid the cat's not had 16 hours sleep today <laughs> yeah, that's true. I know it's funny, isn't it? My kids did say to me last week, they were like, Is he your favourite child? I was like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honesty is the best policy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Your podcast, by the way, is lovely. The one, as in yours, is lovely that I'm on now. Oh, right, yeah. But your, <laughs> your podcast is lovely. Thank uh, you. But, your, <laughs> but my podcast with you on it was a particularly lovely episode. We've already had some really nice feedback. Oh, so thank well, you, thank you. Oh, for having nice. us on. We very much appreciated it. Yeah, it was a really, really nice. And you literally, as I said, the perfect guests. So oh, thank you. Well, you that's really cool. That's nice. Guest. Um, oh, look at us. I know. What a loving. It's going to go downhill. It's like the beginning of a yeah. relationship. We're all like, I really fancy <laughs> you and you don't annoy me at all. <laughs> we like the same yeah, things. <laughs> we like all the same months. things. <laughs> it's uncanny. <laughs> we finish each other's it's, Have yeah, you guys yeah. ever, like, sorry, it's like, oh, I guess... Giles, maybe you not, because I've been with Michelle for a long time, but like, Callie, have you been on a date where you've like massively lied about something that the other person's into just to seem on their wavelength? I mean, I 100% will have done because I've been on so many dates. That you, you just name a scenario and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I did that. It's like an improv game. <laughs> so there will be, um, I can't think of a specific one, no, but there yeah. definitely will. I've definitely, I mean, I'm, I am really into music. And often I, the start of a relationship, you know, when you're sending like playlists back and forth yeah. to each other. Oh, it used to be mixtapes. I know. And now <laughs> there, was just... like, there was effort put in. <laughs> There's yeah. still effort put in, but it's different effort. Um, but the people I date, I usually say, well, they were like scratching now, vinyl. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, but I've definitely done that where I've, you know, you talk about music and there's definitely common ground and then they talk about a band they absolutely love and you don't want to go like fucking hate them so you're like uh, yeah 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 and then next thing you know they put tickets and you're yeah. like oh, oh god yeah i've got to go and watch it now i have yeah i definitely want my last serious relationship he was mad into music and i'd say there was an 80 percent overlap on our venn diagram but the 20 percent that wasn't was diabolical <laughs> but in the beginning i tolerated it way too much and i did get dragged to all kinds of shit music okay in, you Can know. you reveal any of these? Uh, I feel really bad because <laughs> I do because they're not big bands, and I'm like, it's not fair for me. I mean, they're big in that, that you know they're big enough to be selling decent venues, yeah. but yeah. I feel really bad punching down to bands that aren't massively mainstream. And I kind of respected that he, at nearly sixty, was still going to that stuff. Yeah, to be fair, cool. the only people going to it were men who were nearly sixty. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've definitely li- I've definitely lied about musical taste, and and we all lie a bit, don't we? Not lie, you know that bit. I know for you two, it's longer ago, but at the beginning of a relationship, and you just bring out the best in each other, and it's like, oh my god, I'm so my best self with you, and it's kind of effortless. Yeah, yeah. and you suddenly are totally laid back about whether they've booked somewhere for dinner, and you know if they leave all their stuff on the floor and piss on the toilet seat, you're like, I just love the way you do that. Yeah, and then within six months, <laughs> yeah. you're like, I fucking hate you. And if you do yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. It's like false tolerance. And then yeah. and they think they're like, you're so chilled. My last girlfriend wasn't at all chilled. And six months in, they're like, it's like being in prison, Kerry. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you saying about that thing about um, what you said about on dates and stuff, though, because I think Nick Hornby in High Fidelity wrote something like, uh, it's not what you're what you are like, it's what you like. So you kind of you, you, you kind of kind of find those common grounds with people on the stuff that you you like together you know those sort of things like music and and food and all those kind of stuff but it's not you don't kind of portray what you're like as a person particularly at the beginning it's more about those common grounds um that you can start to find uh, i suppose you start to um caress a relationship but then it's and then later you start to find out what people are like (laughs) as opposed to what they like yeah, it's I, and I love that book. Thank you for even mentioning. I haven't thought about that book in years. And yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I love Nick Conby, but that book, superb yeah. book. Um, it's funny, isn't it? How you, um, I'm going straight in deep here, but no, I, I will, re- I will reveal that I'm. So I'm sort of fairly newly in what I think is going to be a lovely relationship. You know, six hours in, guys, it's going really well. Um, <laughs> so he's just in the other room. No, uh, so but he's but the thing that drew me to him, interestingly, um, was the kind of the was actually something quite deep which was which was I was we were chatting about other things we definitely got lots in common and loads of kind of good banter people in common but then he started talking about his middle kid who's got quite significant special needs she's got um quite a red um genetic birth disorder and she's now nearly 20 and he said to me like a couple of weeks in he was like he said I fancied you the minute you walked in you know when did you fancy me I said I know it's gonna sound really weird <laughs> but when you start talking about fathering your middle child I said I just um found that like massively I don't mean massively hot I wasn't like oh you know fuck me now uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I'm to say that on your podcast <laughs> no, you can, but I fine. was but, okay but I was it was more I think probably being a 53 year old out dating with a kid with special needs the fact that there was a kind of proper grown-up going I've this happened um this is what he wasn't talking about it in a braggy way but I just loved everything about how he'd handled it and how he talked about it and I was like that's it there total (laughs) head over heels you could not be more alluring to me so yeah and I did say to him if this ends up being a real thing thing you can tell your daughter she was the gateway to this well you kind of you kind of you're like oh okay this person's an adult that's great I can I can deal with them (laughs) they're not a child um you know or you know, it, yeah because even if you're 60 50 you can still be quite childlike um so it's nice to be able to like i guess you, you kind of saw those deeper things within that person that you know yeah. they've got, they've got and compassion and empathy and it's that like, and he is actually we're both complete dickheads and still think we're 25 so, yeah. which is also reassuring but <laughs> it was just nice to know that accompanying that was that capacity and i think you learn a lot to, i guess that was me hearing him say something about one of life's most challenging situations without saying here's how I handled it yeah. that was how he handled it yeah. and um yeah I don't I don't know what it was about it that that really made me sit up and listen so I think he was hoping I was going to say oh my god yeah you've got such a nice ass and I was just <laughs> thinking oh I wouldn't mind I was like I just love the fact you have a special needs child that you look after really well <laughs> so. I, I think I think when it comes to family I don't think people can lie in a way I think the way people talk about their family I think is one of the most honest moments I think in life anyway and I think you can I think and Giles is right about the early days when you're pretending to be into stuff or things you like and stuff but people do show you I think little moments of themselves and clearly he did at that moment talking about something that's always everyone's family is important to them it's always going to be a, that's always going to be a real moment I think talking about your family 
Yeah, definitely. And I think inevitably, mid, we, we talked, didn't we, on my podcast about dating and you guys said, oh, have you ever met anyone off the internet, meaning each other for the podcast? I was like, have I? Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then went on to a whole thing about online dating. But because I date mainly, I, I, I have found that dating people with children is quite helpful when you have children. Mm. Because as you guys know, not that you've been out the other side and hopefully you won't be of dating as, as guys with kids, but... Um, actually, when you've had kids, it's not the people who haven't had kids would be amazing people to meet and to date. But there's so much you need to understand about the kids coming first that if mm. you don't have a kid would probably be very annoying. But as soon as you've got a kid. So I absolutely understand any man I date's kids are coming first and they hopefully would understand that. And so there's always a little bit in midlife dating. There's a bit of a finding out about their kids, not what their kids are doing, but just you get little hints about what you might. If they say, my daughter's just got a pony, you're like, anyway, goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have a lovely life. life. <laughs> yeah. It's been great. Enjoy the pony. <laughs> exactly. Enjoy the pony. We could call this episode that. And yeah. Oh, yeah. We should, yeah, we should do titles. I know. It's funny, that. isn't it, when you go back, uh, sorry, going back, going to podcasts, actually thinking, oh, we should have done that. Just made w- random titles it's too late now it's too late now it does take time because i have that on mine yeah. and i do intros as you probably know with like bits of trivia and i have a title every time and that if it's a bad week and you're flat out you're like Ugh, why didn't i just have to do the interview bit and yeah. then you guys obviously do a chat but it, it without causing offense it seems unscripted your chat <laughs> no it, it, <laughs> oh good that's the vibe we're going for thank god <laughs> Imagine if we d- we said otherwise now. Oh, actually, no. It's sorry. It's very. Strict. It's very. Yeah. It's very. Uh, I'd yeah, almost like, go. It's like the office. Then it's like really. It's so. <laughs> it's so scripted. It's unscripted. Um, I do that with my. I have a football podcast, and I do the same thing. The sort of random titles each week, and s- some weeks you're just scraping the barrel, and you think, oh my. Some weeks I'm just like football. I look at all I can think of as a title, but it's um yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad we. I'm often... glad we didn't do that then. Yeah. I Google songs and books. If I can't think of anything, I'll just think of the thing I'm roughly looking for. And then yeah. I'll just chuck in a, um, although I've realised I called your episode point blank and you'll be like, okay, Kelly. Yeah, we see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happened there. Oh, here we go. It was a one in the morning. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> been there. I've been there many times. Yeah. Many times. Oh, now, as is our ten- drum, Yeah, drum what are you doing? I thought you, you were like, yeah. I was like, wasn't <laughs> that good at punchline? <laughs> <laughs> it, it um, as is our tendency on this, we um we always like to delve back into people's earlier lives. Um so am I right you grew up in in the West Country, Dorset area? Dorset, yeah. yeah. I did. I, I was born in the home counties, but we moved to Dorset when I was seven. And I lived in Dorset until I was sixteen, and then I went to college in Wiltshire. And then okay. from there to London. Very so, cosmopolitan. Yeah, I had the, yeah, seven, exactly. Although when you're 16 and you leave home to go yeah. to Salisbury, that's the well, thing. Well, yeah. Great, great, cha- great um, steeple there, apparently. In amazing Salisbury. steeple. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is a cathedral city. Yeah. It's cathedral. Ted Heath used to live on the cathedral coast. Did I he? know that because my, my then boyfriend got arrested because he climbed a tree to smoke some weed. I don't know why you'd climb a tree to smoke some weed, but we were in the cathedral coast smoking weed. He decided to climb a tree, fell into the garden of the house next to the tree, which happened to be Ted Heath's garden, oh which my happened God. to have police presence. So instead of just falling out of a tree and getting back out, <laughs> he was arrested. Oh, no. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. That's my sort of, I hope my mum and dad are listening to this and make you proud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my dad now, my dad's, um, he's, he's a musician and he quite often is in concerts at Salisbury Cathedral. So I'm sure he'll be ever so proud. Yeah. Next time he he'll, he'll, he'll think of very different things next time he's there. <laughs> His amazing daughter and her boyfriend. So what, what was growing up in, in that area like? Were you quite rural? Was it quite rural where you were? 
Well, we, I grew up in the grounds of a school. So my parents were teachers and they worked in prep schools. Okay. My mum was born a girl in a boys school. So she was educated in an all boys prep school. Okay. And then my parents ended up doing exactly the same thing. So I was born in the grounds of a, of a school, which I was too little to go to and went to my local school in Buckinghamshire, which I love just local primary school, a mix of, you know, both as, as there was both genders all represented. And then we moved to Dorset and at seven, I started going to a boys boarding school. Right. And we lived on the grounds of the boys boarding school. So in answer to your question, I don't know if rural was the problem as much as everything else. Yeah. So, wow. There's no but, getting yeah. away there. There's, no. So that's. Trapped. Yeah. And actually, I joke about it on stage and in corporates because I do a lot of after dinner speaking in quite male environments. And I also do a lot of speaking in you know industries like the gaming industry, mm. where people are trying to remove barriers to women becoming more influential in those industries. So I'm a passionate sort of, um, you know, I, I speak out about women and, and belonging and how we make space for women. But actually, so I often talk about that story and then being being the only female member of, of a, you know, the ITV board is another story. That's one of the things that gets me booked for, for corporates. But but actually, fundamentally, not belonging to that degree is not a great start in life. So I kind of semi joke about it, but I think it's actually fairly detrimental. Mm. Yeah, Thanks, that must have been incredibly dad. difficult to, um, <laughs> to navigate through that. Do you know, it's a funny thing because it, much as my kids have been state educated, I'm a, you know, a absolute kind of guardianista through and through. So it's, it's, I, I'm not a fan of the private education system. And as soon as I was able to be vocal about it, I got out of it as a, as a, you know, people quite young, I kind of rebelled against it and didn't want to be there. My brother went right through the system and I was like, I don't want to keep in this system. But I will say that the prep school I went to, and this is the unfair thing, isn't it? It was an incredible school. In it was very mm. sort of liberal. Everybody got the opportunity to do everything from music to drama to whatever you could do. And I cannot dispute that those five years I was there, much as they were quite damaging in some ways, they probably did also enable me to do an enormous amount of time. So I had enormous privilege, mm. which is awful, isn't it, really? That that, that that is what private education buys you. And I can't deny that I was the beneficiary of that for those five years. I left when I was 13. So, yeah, so it's a bit of a double-edged sword, really. Um, but suffice it to say, I wouldn't have sent my children to boarding school over my dead body. So... Mm. No, but privilege. Yeah. Oh, sorry, privilege. It's funny you say privilege. Privilege is a funny thing, and again, without getting sort of too deep and stuff, like some people have it and some don't, and so it's it's often not your choice, I guess. Like you know, you were just chucked into this system, but I think it's important that if you do have privilege like that, that you're sort of honest about it and open about it and talk about the fact that I did get a leg up or or whatever. And that not oh, yeah. everyone does get that right, because yeah. I mean, the weird thing for us is we had no money. So teachers, my parents, just because they were private school teachers, they didn't earn more than state school teachers. So mm. we had very, very little money. So we would be going on camping holidays or staying. And, you know, my mum's aunt had a little, very little basic kind of almost kind of no electricity level basic cottage in Cornwall that we'd go to. And I was going to school with like people from around the world who were children of royalty, literally children of royalty. Wow. Um, and why don't they get and, paid more? That's mad. Yeah. So yeah. So, so we didn't. Have, there's been much different now. Either, to be no, I don't you think get, it you, is. You get a bit of extra holiday, but that's about. But it. not much, no, because my kid's stepmom is is a teacher. But I, 
Yeah, so so we didn't have money, so I had privilege, but absolutely. So again, on another level, I was also completely an outsider because everybody mm. was absolutely loaded. You know, I'd never mm. been on a plane, never been never been anywhere glamorous, and and lots of kind of quite famous people sent their kids there. Um, so it was it was a, I really did not fit in in that way. So it's really weird, isn't it, to have this? Pri- I did have that privilege. It's funny. I'm I'm doing something. Um, tomorrow I'm facilitating a thing for a, a bank who shall remain nameless, and I'm always slightly like before I do those corporates, I'm like, I just want to find out what this is and whether mm. I ethically am in agreement with it. And it's it's a forum for children of very very wealthy people, like top top sort of twenty clients of this bank to sort of help because apparently they are a really vulnerable category like people with that inherited wealth actually sometimes can't don't end up live yeah. literally don't live and when they said it i i did say could you just establish could you just let me know are these all people who've just got family wealth or might some of these be people whose parents won the lottery or so? and they said no no it is not all people who've come from privilege but it is all people whose parents now have great wealth but then when they were talking about how they were going to run the day they were talking about the opening. They said, what we think we should do is get everybody to get up and say who they are and what their ambitions are. I said, you know, that would be absolutely unfair mm. on somebody who's maybe not at all confident as a public speaker, who probably would be standing up there next to someone who'd gone to Eton yeah. and has been debating since they were in short yeah, trousers. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought you don't, you don't realise, and also the people on the call briefing me were quite, I would say, maybe quite privileged men. Yeah. And I just thought you haven't even thought about <laughs> that. Yeah. There'll be people in that room for whom this is terrifying and who feel desperately inadequate that they are total imposters so it's funny isn't it how people you don't sort of don't know what you don't know really but I straddled really weird sort of um, line of privilege but definitely not much money and not thinking I should be there really I was just thinking about that so going back to what you just said about like people standing up and see, saying who they are and stuff would it not get into a bit of a like tit for tat of who's got the most money? <laughs> like, well, they don't well have actually, the money. mine's my my dad's the the king of <laughs> Norway. The Earl of <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's. I don't think they were supposed to say no, that. No, no, <laughs> but I do think um, some of these people apparently don't know how much money they're going to get. So like they know. Oh, that okay. they, There's money. And today we're going to reveal. <laughs> I think I, I said, why don't I run it as a game show? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's what we'll do. Forget the well-being session. Yeah. Let's just film the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. We'll I've money. got a great. I, I've got a great idea for a TV show, guys. I want to make money off the back of these people. Yeah. So this is how we. It's the big reveal. They've decided to disinherit you. <laughs> and I've I'm, slept with your stepdad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's the twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i mean that would actually do really well but it would actually let's yeah. pocket that one mm, i've yeah. got contacts in that industry yeah i'm gonna say this is have. good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We've got a sponsor we'll we'll go for <laughs> good yeah. brainstorming guys <laughs> no so obviously you said you got you had sort of extra curricular stuff with the school was that a time where you got into kind of drama and stuff Tell you what, I did get into. Yeah, I did get into drama because I was much happier being not me. Uh, so obviously, that was an easy mm. way to not be me for a bit. But the thing I got massively into uh, was music. So I I played the piano from when I was quite little. My parents are quite musical, and and we had a piano, and I used to sort of muck about on it from when I was tiny. But when I got to that school, I played the piano every spare hour of the day 
I don't, didn't at the time think why, but I now know why. It was because I had something to do. I didn't have to talk to anyone and mm. be with anyone. And the piano is obviously a solo instrument. Interesting that I didn't pick an orchestral instrument. So mm. I probably played the piano for four to five hours a day, every wow. day, from 7 to 13. Wow. And there was a beautiful grand piano because it was an incredibly well-equipped mm. school. There was a beautiful grand piano in this lovely auditorium. And so I used to play on a Beckstone grand piano, as a kid from a house without much money, that's what I could do every day. And I used, just used to go in there and just play. And they used to let me look the, unlock the hall to go in, lock the hall to go oh. back. I was a boarder at the school by the end for the last two years. And I'd go to my dormitory at the very last sort of bit. By then there were eight girls at the school. I wasn't the only girl by the end. But um, yeah, so it was so uh, weirdly, I did the kind of 10,000 hours thing by mistake. Yeah. So did you do grades or anything or is it just... I did, yeah. yeah. I did all the grades. and I, I mean, God, if you heard me now, I mean, I, I can play a bit, but not compared to how I used to be able to play. But I, yeah, it was my absolute passion. And even now, actually, if I, um, when I, after this, I probably will play something because it's reminded me I've got a piano and I can. But I, yeah. I, whenever I do get back into playing the piano, it's um, an amazingly important thing for me. And I always think, why don't I just do this more? I did quite a bit of it in lockdown. Mm. obviously when i ran out of needle points yeah, and yeah starter <laughs> banana cakes <laughs> yeah um exactly. yeah i um i totally get you what you're saying about music because it was a big escape for me particularly in my sort of late teens um it, and it's uh, particularly playing something there's a you know there's obviously your there's a i think there's a sort of chemical change listening to music in ourselves but also playing something you're concentrating on that and also feeling the music there's a it's a very visceral experience playing an instrument, I think. Um, and yeah, so I totally get get where you're coming from with that. What kind of stuff were you playing? Was it mainly classical music or contemporary stuff? It was classical, yeah. So that's the weird, and there's been a bit of a metaphor there for everything creative I've ever gone on to do. So I was very, very accomplished technically. I could read music. I would absolutely, classic Cali, if it was Bach and you had to be quiet here, loud, you know, I'd do all of that beautifully be very studious, follow the rules it, it, creatively. And then when I got to sixth form college, I got really into drama. I'd done quite a bit of drama, but I got massively into drama there. I did drama A-level and they had amazing drama at that college. And I got to know this guy called Johnny Boston, uh, who oh, was from a family, right, he right. was dead cool. And he has, he had to be with the name Johnny Boston. He was the youngest of, I think, five brothers. And the downstairs of their house was like a studio. All his brothers were into music. And he was the, a really good like jazz pianist. And he was totally kind of loose and everything he'd done, he couldn't read music. And then he and I would, it was through, and I didn't ever get good at it, but I realised what I didn't, I realised, God, what, a, what um, a restraining thing in a way. So I'm this tightly, classically trained musician. He's just really able to just do stuff. And it's a bit like that with comedy and everything else I do. Like I can, I can do it within the rules of doing it. I can be quite glossy. But can I just be totally loose and just see what happens and turn up and inhabit the room like the brilliant comics do? But I still can't. So it probably was a bit of a metaphor for everything that went on to happen. So, yeah, totally classically, rigidly trained. That's what I it's really interesting because it, I think I talked about this on a podcast not a, while, a little while ago. That um, So when um, late in my later teens, my we were I had to share a, a flat with my dad and my nan. It was a bit awkward because it was one bedroom so it was a bit and I was getting older and so this family nearby who I met through a youth group they put me up in they had they had a spare room and they put me up and the mum was really keen like her, her children had again like you classically trained on the piano and and thought 
the, yeah, the route into music, if I wanted to do music as a kind of career, I needed to sort of train, basically. And I before that, I'd just been playing in my bedroom, learning songs and blah, blah, blah. What were you playing? Guitar? Guitar, yeah, guitar, guitar yeah. yeah. And um, When you said teenage boy bedroom, yeah, I yeah. went guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that route. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so she organised for me to have some, like for a birthday present or Christmas gift, I think that she organised me to have some guitar lessons so I could learn, you know. And she, she'd kind of instructed the guy to teach me, like, very technical stuff so I could do grades and you know become technical and uh within the first lesson like we were, he said just just play with me and he had a keyboard actually and he he was really into blues and jazz and he said just play with me for a minute and then so we played we, and we played for about half an hour and he said I'm he said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna teach you all that grade stuff he goes I, j- I just want to teach you about improvisation now it could be that he was <laughs> He was like, I just want to have a jam with you, basically. I don't want to like have to teach you like pop stuff. Easy but money. yeah, but um, but I used to go along every week, and we used to jam together. And he would play stuff, and I play, and and I learned so much from doing that improvisation, and and it and and for me that stood me in place because I I will take a chance and stuff. If I hit a bum note, so what? It you know it's it's a learning curve, you know, it goes to that sort of feeling about failure and stuff. If you do hit a bum note, then it's fine. You can you can go again. And uh, I, honestly, I, I got to meet. He still lives in the road behind us when we moved, and I went and got, had a cup of tea with him. And I, and he's obviously quite elderly now. And I just said to him, "Thank you so much for giving me that confidence to do that." Because you know, all the bands I've played and everything, we just always would improvise and 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 mess around with stuff. And it, all our best content used to come out of that. And he was such a big, had such a huge impact on me creatively. Um, I think that's some. It's a really amazing story. I'm wondering why you didn't put your out as your Namaste motherfucking. <laughs> I should have done, shouldn't I? Saved yeah. it. For yeah. Your, yeah. Save the goosebumps for your own. Yeah. Big but shout no, out to Graham, <laughs> Graham. Graham <laughs> Tucker. His name is. And uh, oh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. It's brilliant, no Johnny Boston, guy. but it's a good. It's a good. Name. No, no. He was, he, and yeah. And I just was so grateful to him, and it was nice to be able to go and say, say that to him, and say yeah, yeah thank amazing. you so much for that impact you had on me, and I'm so pleased that I didn't do any grades, and I just, you know you allowed me to just express myself because he probably it's taken me another well how long since I was at that school nearly 40 uh, nearly 50 years since I was at that school it's taken me this long to try and learn to be a bit looser with life and with creative things and with my relationship with failure and experimentation Um, I've been very experimental in other areas of my life but creatively and professionally um, I've been a real tightly coiled spring and, and you kind of had to be, I guess, doing what I used to do for a living. It didn't, you got rewarded for that kind of attitude, mm, yeah. but um, it's kind of a price to pay. So what was he called? Graham Tucker. Graham Tucker. Thank you, yeah. Graham Tucker. Now other people <laughs> will be listening and they've got Graham Tucker's approach. Yeah. So. Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, they've got Graham Tucker's in their life. I'm sure everyone's got a Graham That's Tucker. That's true, actually. Yeah. Somewhere. Um, people will be writing in now to you guys with their Graham Tuckers. Oh, if, I'd like that. If, if people sent us emails, they would do. Yeah, that was. Uh... People send you a lot of emails, Jim. Cut that bit. Out. Sorry, sorry, people send us loads of emails, emails all the time. In. Can't move. The, them. We've actually stopped saying the email address in the outro because no one sends us um, any emails at all. I don't know why. Do we give a vibe of people that don't answer emails? I don't know. Anyway, no one reads emails anymore. That's it's true. all WhatsApp groups. 
and people to putting stuff out on social media, which I like because then you can just retweet the shit out of it. Just tell <laughs> yeah. me you like my podcast where yeah. I can share it. It's free advertising. Exactly. Yeah. So do you, is that something you've wanted to be creatively sort of looser and stuff? Because when you're talking earlier about sort of being in the box and stuff, I was thinking like, I, I guess there is still space for, for everything really, isn't there? And if you're the sort of person that thrives in a more rigid structure of creativity, then that's, that's cool. There's no rule, is there? There's no hard or fast rule. But I guess is that something you wanted to do in terms of... I do think I do think inhabiting what you're doing in the moment is certainly for live works pretty important you could argue it's quite important for anything creative even when you're not doing it in front of people and I do think that yeah that's probably the thing I've most in every way in terms of how I've structured my career literally moving out of a very structured responsible job into something that isn't structured and is arguably not at all responsible but also like approach on stage I was I was interviewing Sarah Keyworth on my podcast this morning she's I think she's incredible really talented comic and the absolute um, opposite of me in terms of how loose she is and I've watched her since the beginning we started out pretty much together and I was saying to her god I just aspire to have your presence on stage and I think yeah I, I I've got loose I have got loose on stage but that's why I know I'm a better MC than a comic because when I'm emceeing, I'm just turning up and mucking around with the room, yeah. the audience. And I know that's much funnier than the stuff I painstakingly write. So, yeah, I, do, I, do th- I don't know people listening and you guys doing what you do for a living and, and, and your listeners listening to this podcast about, about this subject will have their opinions. But I do think if you're you could be rigid in terms of your discipline, which I'm also not of like, I'm going to write for six hours a day. Yeah. Um, so I'm loose in discipline and application and rigid in delivery. So it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh. and I don't know why I'm not even more successful than I am. <laughs> Uh, you have to say obviously for anyone listening doesn't know like with mc with mc work you do you, you kind of you do have to just approach it more loosely like you just, do you do any prep do you know do. do you find out who the comics are i always find out who the comics are because i've almost got it's not quite facial blindness but i think it almost does verge into that actually I, i'm absolutely appalling with faces so nowadays i do look I'm up Giles, the names the <laughs> that's why i like zoom seriously because yeah, yeah. everyone's got their names on otherwise i'm really I'm, I'm good at names just not good at faces i would know which you were but if i then bumped into you in the street i might genuinely oh, Jim. N- not, not, yeah <laughs> i might genuinely i probably go do you know what I, I i'd probably <laughs> go with it and say yeah yeah it's going well the football stuff's going and that's well. even more depressing <laughs> because i'm looking forward to edinburgh 15. <laughs> Yeah, I might know you do because I've met you. Because Giles and I haven't actually met met, I might yeah. not know. But but I do, and because no offense to either of you, but there are quite a lot of white guys doing comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I do is when when the um, list comes through, I'll always very quickly just have, also to see well, partly to see who they are, and then usually when I when then I'll be like, oh, yes, I have what I, I remember material always, but also um, just to see if we follow each other because I'm like, okay, not only do I have I met, I definitely have met you then because we mm, follow each other. Yeah. So I I do do that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I'm doing a corporate tonight. I'm hosting a thing. For a media agency and i'll do i've done a bit of prep i've asked like is there anyone i can take the piss out of who's the mm. big name is there anyone you would rather i didn't take the piss out of but i actually think the more you do beyond a couple of gags about their industry the more you've prepped the worse it is i think it's yeah. much better if something happens in the room but it's weird isn't it i've got the confidence to do that as an mc but don't have the confidence to do that in any other way i don't know what that's about so yeah so why yeah. i just really quickly i did an mc gig recently where i forgot one of the actors' names and i literally had to go back and pop my head through the door and say sorry sorry what was your name again killed the room it was all it was a terrible oh what, why you were, oh geez yeah I was you just, and to... next up is and i went oh wait a minute. I'm so sorry i forgot the next name which is all i mean you've got one job you've literally got one job the worst um, thing can that. i because if it's how if horrendous name... for that poor comment <laughs> 
<laughs> if the name is something like your name, Jim, that's the thing I'm always really wary of. Is if it's a name that's less familiar to me mm. from a culture that's less familiar to yeah. me, I'm so aware of don't be like, well, that's difficult to remember because yeah. they'll probably be thinking, well, I think your name's difficult to yeah. remember. Yeah. So I'm always really, at, and I had, um, yeah, I did um, the Angel Comedy, um, their social club nights they have, which have quite a lot of comics on of different levels. And there were so many names there that were like, to me seemed complex and names I hadn't worked with. Yeah. So I just had it on my phone. And then I would just remember the next name. I'd make sure before I went on, I was like, right, I definitely know who's up next. And then at the end, when I do the recap of each section, so give it up for the acts you've seen. And then you do the kind of like, I hope you're clapping really loudly because I can't remember. The first <laughs> yeah, mumble into the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Something. Wasn't that so, yeah, so, <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> I'm just trying to think if there's a way you can kind of adopt some of that, that feeling and, uh, that that kind of technique to, towards your other work, so that you do feel a bit less loose, or is it just because you're so prepared with regards to you? Obviously, you're writing lots of material that you want to stick to that and be faithful to what you've written. I think it's so. First of all, and Jim will know this, and it'll have come up on your podcast before, probably. But when you do the clubs, if they pay you for twenty, they do not want you to do much crowd work because they think that's yeah. the job of the MC. So if you do a twenty, and of that three minutes were crowd work, they're not always that happy which I actually find a real shame because I know not to steal I know not to steal the crowd work from the MC because I'm an MC so I won't take things that are theirs that they need but I do so I the way I do it is I know I have jumping off points quite regularly where I do need to ask an audience member something and even if it's for 15 seconds I'm like you know I'm in my 50s any women in their 50s oh what's your name you know quick bit and then I can play with the audience live but within material um, so I do, but I do find it, I think that's the disadvantage of not doing Edinburgh, isn't it? Is that when you, I'm not doing it this year and you have to be a bit looser because if you're creating an hour, you've got mm. to take some risks or you'll never get as far as an hour in, in the six to nine months you have to write it. So, um, so yeah, you absolutely should be able to apply that. I do now write material verbally. So I, I, I always just record it, um, often on the way back from gigs and then I'll try it that way. So, but I reckon it would take me another 10 years as a comedian to get where I want to go in terms of looseness. I do know what I don't know. And I also know how long it would take to get there having worked in that industry. And I'm like, oh, good. So by the time I'm 70, I'm going to be <laughs> so good at this. Well, should we, should we talk about your, your, the moment then you got into comedy? Because it, it's, it's a fairly unique um, story, isn't it? If you want to explain to our listeners how you switched careers big time. Yeah, it was a bit of an unexpected switch. So I worked um, I worked in the media. I'd always worked in telly. I'd kind of ended up in senior management in telly, but without meaning to. And, and I was quite unhappy as a kind of boardroom person, but didn't probably admit that. But I did love the bits of the job that were more creative. And I did love managing people and, and hopefully, I think, leaving a decent sort of halo for people beneath and around me in the companies I worked for. But um, I didn't like all the bullshit in boardrooms at all. And I was doing it, you know, when, when it was quite a bit of a harder thing to do as a, as a woman and as a younger woman. Mm. But I had then inadvertently found myself with some kind of benefits in the job. And I worked for Viacom CBS for a long time. I used to work for MTV back in the day before they were part of Viacom. And then I went back in. So I ended up there um, and they, Viacom owns Comedy Central, among other brands. And I worked for the US Comedy Central. Oh, okay. Not that I worked from here, but I was employed by them. And we would bring A-list talent to, you know, trade fairs in Cannes or wherever. And I was the boring business person who would 
be charged with introducing whoever the A-lister was to the stage and there'd be drunken TV executives and I would be the one who would have to keep the room a little bit warm till the A-lister came out. And it was purely a sort of cynical event to get the jaded TV executives to part with their money and buy the show. And I worked with Joan Rivers a couple of times and um, got to know her quite well. I, I didn't expect, I absolutely admired her because of people like her. I, I grew up knowing women could be funny, but I didn't expect to take to her quite to the level I did. And she, I had never thought what a feminist she was. I never thought what it was like to be breaking through those glass ceilings in Hollywood. And some of the stories she told me about what it was like as a woman then, I was like, wow, actually I've slightly underestimated the nuanced nature of Joan Rivers. She was the person who said to me um, about the. She was the one who said that the beyonds are good and the goods are odd about yeah. online dating. I've thought about um, that every time since she said that. I've thought <laughs> about that yeah. a lot actually. That was one bit of life advice she gave me about her daughter who was out there online dating at the time. But the last time I saw her, um, we had dinner together, just the two of us. Uh, wow. As it turned out, not long before she died. Um, obviously didn't know that at the time and she was the one who said to me Kelly you should think about doing stand-up comedy because what you've been doing for me at all these events is kind of being my warm-up and you could do it and I said I was 45 at the time and I said you know I'm 45 I'm a single mum one of my kids has got special needs I've got a massive day job it's too late and she just looked at me and she said Kelly I'm 81 you're in the thick of it uh, why don't you do it and then she died very unexpectedly two weeks later, which um, was also a bit of a leveller because at 81, she seemed very, I mean, who knows what age she actually was. She was declaring to be 81. <laughs> right. but she did have, so 97, Joan Rivers. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she, um, but yeah, it, I think it was the combination of her giving me that advice and actually ironically her dying mm. and me thinking, I'm so glad that when I was 45, someone who was 81 told me 45 was quite young yeah. because at 53, I now know 45 is quite young. And I'm also very mindful of the fact that when I'm 60, I'll be thinking 53 was young. Yeah. So I think it's so important to, um, it's not about, my story is not at all redemptive. My life's still really messy. I, I really struggle with many, many things. I find life on stage much easier than life off stage. And I suspect that will always be the way. But what I do love about what she said and what I do think is a bit of portable something that might make people think it's just about I'll decide what I'm going to do and I'll decide whether it's an unlikely life moment or not and I'll decide at what age in my life how I would like to be and everyone has that right whether they're 13 or 93 and so I suppose that's the bit that I think is the takeout from that is not what I went on to do but that she was like you, you decide what you do at what age and who you are and how it's up to you and that was very liberating at a yeah. point when I had a very serious career I probably would have thought oh, I'll do this another 10 years I can retire and never work again just slog on and a bit of me was like no don't slog on it's not too mm. late just crack on so yeah that was my that was my little, my sort of unexpected fork in the road. It's interesting you use the word slog, because I think the, the idea of slogging on, you know, like it's against your will in a way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's quite telling uh, that you use that word. It's, it is. Well, I think I tell you the time I think that jobs reach their sell by day. And I should add, um, I did have great privilege in that I was a high earner then. So it gave me some leeway. So when I was first working as a stand up, I didn't need to rely on money from it. I absolutely need to make a living outside of I don't have a corporate job anymore. And I'm lucky that I do corporate speaking based largely on that career, not on being a stand up. Mm. But I do think um, I, I, you know, I've worked as a coach to people for the last 20 odd years. I've coached a lot of different types of people. And if the money is what's keeping you in something, 
it's time to look for something else. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you don't still need to earn the money. I absolutely, there's no other money comes into my household. No other money has supported my kids. So it wasn't a luxury item earning money, but there are possibly more ways to think about doing it than you might imagine. So um, yeah, and it was a slog actually. I mean, I did, pretty, if I'm honest, and I've thought about starting to bring this into my corporate speaking because I haven't actually said it on stage and it's probably a bit disingenuous that what I fudge over in that whole story, because then about three years later, when I was in my late forties, I gave up the day job and I switched to making a living out of what I now do, you know, speaking, comedy, writing. But what I don't talk about is the fact I had a complete full on burnout and there was absolutely no way I could carry on with my board level job. So if I hadn't been a stand up, I'd have still left. So perhaps I need to be more honest about that with people, um, particularly for women who, I don't know many, I know you guys are a bit younger than me, but I don't know many women who in their late forties haven't had a pretty big life collapse and it is it's perimenopause which isn't talked mm. about nearly enough yeah, no. menopause now gets a good spotlight but the people i know if there's a time you did not want to exist anymore it was perimenopause and i was in the thick of it and um yeah i i couldn't cope anymore so ironically um it sounds like a really brave amazing story but it was also driven by uh well-being and necessity actually i mean not bad re- not bad things to let drive your, your decisions to be honest I mean those are in those are important and I definitely should talk I, I'm aware like I said I came, I came away yeah. doing a speech last week and I thought oh, that bit's missing that's quite mm. important <laughs> I need to start telling people that bit yeah yeah absolutely yeah. it's it's something that isn't talked about enough um and doesn't get as as much um airtime as it should and I think you know like you say I think there are lots and lots of women going through that and probably feeling a little lost in those times yeah it's, i mean that the um the average age for women to commit suicide is 51 and the average age for women to go through menopause is 53 and i don't think that's talked about we talk a lot and may we continue to about young men's mental health and 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 men's mental health and, and the fact that men maybe don't always have those kind of conversations when they need their help but actually, I think it's, very, I mean, I, I suspect you guys wouldn't have necessarily been aware of that statistic. I don't think there's no, a no. lot out there no. about that. No. And and actually, it's the lead up. And, and you know, I certainly got to the point where I, I if I hadn't had kids, I don't think I would still be here. And I know a, lot, a significant number of women who've been at that same point. And at best, women who are le- losing careers, relationships. Um, yeah, a, a huge amount at that stage in life. And I don't think it is talked about enough. And I also think if it was men going through it we'd have resolved that ages ago because if you think about it those are women at the peak of their careers I left my career when I was at the absolute top of my game and I could have been at the top of my game for another five years I reckon and still been really on it helpful useful valuable to them and um and I and I never and it was never it never came up in my leaving discussions my mental health did and I was I felt like it was a I felt like I'd become a pariah for them you know that I had mental health issues that I talked about but I never mentioned that aspect of things so so yeah it, it sounds like a lovely story which it kind of is I don't regret any of it but it, it didn't come about from happy daring creative impulses it came about from survival I think yeah yeah thank you for sharing that stat because you're right I've, I've I've never heard that and I can't remember seeing anything about it and yet you're right about men's mental health and I think I think the average age for men to commit suicide is much younger I believe isn't I it? think it's, it's possibly 20s, 20s. Or... and and I should add with that statistic that was a statistic I did a lot of research on it when I did my show Invisible which was three years ago so it could well be that statistic shifted but it won't have shifted yeah. a lot so it could be there's now research saying it's 52 or 49 mm. but for women it, this is this is sniper alley for women mental health yeah. wise what, what, what I'm in now um, and it's interesting isn't it the stuff's just gone out in the press about um, 
about women not being able to get their HRT and there being supply problems and women sort of meeting in car parks. If someone's managed to get some, they'll give it to someone else like a dealer. And I was like, that is a non-story. Me and my mates, like we'll all go to different GPs consciously and all go to different pharmacists on the back of the fact someone will get it. We've all been, that's the only reason women go to Pilates. It's because that's where you do your HRT deals. That's it. Otherwise, (laughs) it's not for our pelvic floors. It's just to get our drugs. Wow. It's making (laughs) middle-aged women see a lot more gangster. But again, horrendous. I thought they were. Horrendous that you're not (laughs) able to get hold of these beneficial medications. Yeah. just... and the doctors will oh, say yeah. to you, so they'll, you'll be get put as a middle-aged woman, it, it, it's much easier to get antidepressants than it is to get your hormones adjusted. Um, I've been on hormone uh, replacement therapy for nearly 20 years because I had um, a cervical condition that meant I, I needed it very young. And um, and I get have to really negotiate with my GP to make, an, I absolutely know it's linked to breast cancer. I, I'm an intelligent woman, I understand the risk. I also understand the risk of me not being on it mental health wise. And I've literally said, well, either I can be on this uh, planet earth taking it, or I don't think I'll survive for anything without it. So I'll, I will decide to take that risk if that's all right. Um, Thanks for pointing it out to me, but we, I don't know if men would, or if, I don't know, I don't know why we're having to negotiate for Mm. something that we need. You wouldn't just take a diabetic off insulin and go, well, we've decided there is a risk with insulin (laughs) and we know it helps you out, but we've decided actually it's better for you not to have it for a year. So you just wouldn't do it. And and it is actually, um, it is, I didn't mean to come on here and do a perimenopausal, um, you know, awareness speech, but it is actually a matter of life and death, I would say, without over-egging it. That's not, you're right, yeah. (laughs) It's not over-egging it at all. I think it's really important that we discuss it. I've seen a lot of, I've seen some posts on social media recently and obviously we've had the issues with the supply chains and stuff of getting those money medications and I know my wife's got um, colleagues at, at work who've had the issues and going, you know, like you say, d- doing deals in the car parks. Um, and I guess, again, it's not, it's the start, you think, you know, as, as, a, as a man, not really knowing enough about these situations, just it's like a stark, stark story that's being played out and it's horrible to hear. It's also worth you because you guys are in are you in your forties, both of you. I am nearly, yeah, nearly. nearly. So one in your thirty, one in your. 40. So it's also worth being aware. Um, and this is uh, and this semi joking, but not really. So my dating pool is obviously usually divorced men. Um, I mean, I say usually they're always separated. I don't mean sometimes they're married still, but usually they're men who've who separated from their partners and have got kids with a previous partner or a previous couple of partners. And very often the marriages, that's partly because of the age I am, but very often the marriages broke down in their late 40s, early 50s. And I also do think that there is an element also, it probably is really hard for the men as well, but there's such a massive change and such a lot of challenge for any woman at that life stage that it's also probably really incredibly tough for the woman and probably really tough for the man too. Mm. And um, and I definitely think I, a number of guys that I've met who, and they were you know they were like my wife just got really difficult and it was and I sort of mm. think well, she was forty nine when you split up yeah she probably was yeah. being fucking difficult <laughs> good yeah. on her um, so yeah. so I do think it does there is a if you did I don't know if the research has been done but if you look at the age that women get divorced I bet you there's a peak at that stage in life as well so just look out for that guys try and be very nice <laughs> okay <laughs> unload yeah. the dishwasher at that point a lot. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. Put the um, dog out for a poo all the time. But that that one, I know, as a bloke in his late 30s and with friends in a similar age and stuff, and I guess maybe why would my mates not know about that? But I wonder, this is literally the first time I've ever had a conversation with anybody about this kind of thing. But it's, it's just never, it's not on any bloke that I know's radar or anything like that. And yet this is, at, what you're telling me is absolutely vital 
at some point life-saving information it's just life-saving and relationship saving yeah um and yeah i think it is and it, and it's actually it's it's basically kind of it's hard to be empathetic isn't it when we're not if you think about empathy being literally trying to stand in someone else's shoes yeah it's really hard to do that when you don't know what the starting point is like there would yeah. be absolutely issues you guys would be aware of that i probably wouldn't be aware of as a, as a, as a woman where i'd be like oh god actually, i hadn't really even thought about what that's like for you guys and so I do think it's, um, yeah, I think we've gone so mad on menopause. I don't think we're looking at the transitionary, which is much worse. Um, and it's also at a time when you've got huge, if you think about women in their 40s, very likely that if they're going to have kids, they've probably got kids where they're at the front line of parenting. You know, I'm now at the light of touch, empty nest end. And it's when you've got it coming from all sides, career, relationship, you know, kids, the whole thing. So yeah, I think it's um, it's just worth people being aware of. And you do hear about women. There's a lot of women who start really interesting businesses in their late forties and early fifties, and a lot of that is for similar reasons to mine. Yeah. So it ends up a great story, but actually, yeah. we got there for not very great reasons. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for sharing that because uh, yeah. I think it's like you say, it's important for people who are listening who might be going through a similar situation and being aware that that might be why they're feeling the way they are. And um, to insist to their GPs, one last thing. Yes. Your GPs may well say you don't need it or they, they test your levels and go, no, no, you're fine. Mm, you think mm. you need it, get them to give it to you. And the only way HRT works is trial and error. And if any doctor says we're not going to trial and error it with you and you're over 45, then just find another doctor. So is that it's trial and error on, on dosage levels? On dosage, yeah. yeah. So you, you need, um, yeah, east, well, like, oestrogen is the kind of key one yeah. that you usually need, but you often need um, a, a sort of bouquet of oestrogen, progesterone yeah. and testosterone. But yeah, and literally the only way they can do it is they they give you a small dose and if that yeah. works, you don't need a bigger dose yeah. and that's the way it is. My, yeah. my that goes back got... to Joan Rivers, doesn't it? It's yeah. your choice. Yeah. It's your choice, yeah. yeah, and it should be, really should be. It's our bodies. Yeah, yeah. quite. My, my wife's got um, under active thyroid so she has thyroxine which she takes every day and that again is you have to sort of work out the dosage levels and it takes and a little fight your gp for that i'm i have yeah. that as well and you, that's yeah. another one oh. where they're kind of, and you're kind of like and, and actually the threshold on the nhs for when you need thyroxine is, is yeah. pretty high it's totally Whereas, different so yeah. my 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 sister-in-law's also got it it's quite unusual for sisters to have it and um in the states it's totally different Totally different yeah. kind of, you know, they're, well, I mean, they're, they're more readily available <laughs> drugs. Yeah, you don't uh, even have there. to have a thyroid condition. No, there. no, you, you just have it. a gun and thyroxine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice and day. a copy try, of the constitution. Try this, try this. And a latte, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very true. But yeah, it's funny. And here, it's the, 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 yeah, you have to be like over four or something before you, they really start, uh, anyway. Well, they start. Not over four years old. No, 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 no. I mean, there's <laughs> like the thyroid. The, the thyroid Jim's like, what do you mean over four? Yeah, yeah. Clarification. Sorry, yeah, his I, kid I, can have it. So, yeah. <laughs> She's about, yeah, a year away, so I'm sure we'll yeah, work it out. Oh, God, it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. Um, so what were the what were those first, I mean, obviously you did start, make that choice to go into comedy. What were the What were the first few gigs like? Well, Jim and I did my first ever gig. Oh, you did your first ever world. gig? Oh, that was your first I, ever one? It was it? my first ever outside of the course. So I did one, okay. I did the showcase. Yeah. Please yeah, say that you walked off and said, follow that, Jim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mike drew up and then Jim died on his ass. Yeah. And he knew that I, he should quit and I should get into yeah, it. Jim was emceeing and he went, next on... <laughs> What's the name again? Yeah. Kelly, Kelly Holmes, yeah, exactly. I think she is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so my first gig was, uh, was in a, actually, no, it was my, you, it was the second gig in the real world, the one in the toilet that we did, Jim, but the first gig was, a first gig was above, a, it was the showcase, end of a course, yeah. above a pub, and I, and I, and I, 
and I was really good on the course. I was one of the ones who could write and perform and, and they put me as last in the showcase. I'm sure thinking, oh, she'll be, and I absolutely died on my ass because I'd learned it like a script. Yeah. It wasn't funny. And then I was so surprised because I just thought, oh, I'm going to be the next Sarah Millican, no doubt. And I was like, oh, shit. Then I did the comedy <laughs> virgins at the Cavendish Arms and I won them that night, that little tiny trophy. So Never I won, won that. that gig. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So I had a t- diabolical gig. Then I won a competition which to be fair for anyone listening it's not exactly like edinburgh newcomer of the year but it was a little it's not tiny perrier award. Yeah, it's something it's not the perrier award but it's the only award that i had and then the third gig was in a toilet with jim daly with the legendary jim daly either yeah. emceeing or headlining i don't know which you can't were remember jim, but i'm you not were sure it was it. either yeah i'm not sure it was either no though. you were definitely the only act who was knew how to be a comedian i remember that <laughs> I, we should say converted toilet as well for anyone wondering. It was um, it, uh, it to, to honest, a lot not of, less than salubrious bar. I think, a lot of venues are. Bar. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was one of, of the are. early adopters of the converting of toilets, wasn't it? Yeah, we used to play at the Tunbridge Wells Forum. <laughs> I knew you'd say Tunbridge Wells I know, because that is a converted toilet, a the Victorian toilet. toilet venue. Yeah. yeah. But it's just but it's kind of, I've been out toileted now. Ours was just some shitty... Ours wasn't even one of those underground hip ones. There's one near me no. in Kentish Town called Ladies and Gents, which is a really, really good toilet-based bar, a cocktail bar. But this one was like, it was one. Of, it was more like one you'd see on the seafront in Eastbourne, wasn't it? It was like a sort of toilet... <laughs> nice. By the yeah. road, like a sort of car park toilet rather than a cool... Yeah. It was very... Toilet. It was yeah. basically a car park toilet. Yeah, it was a drug deal toilet. Was, I just, there was another one on the circuit, of the open my circuit, there was a toilet as well somewhere. I want to say Liverpool Street or something that was, that was also not the best. Was there yeah, a trend it, for it, converting it, toilets? It had weird uplighting. Yeah. Yeah. It had like weird is. green uplighting as well, which was a very interesting choice. Green uplighting in a toilet. Oh, that'll be because of the... Well, in when I lived in Amsterdam, it was the reason they had that lighting. They In all the toilets, I don't think they do it now, they had that like ultraviolet type blue light because you couldn't um, you couldn't shoot up with that. So all right, toilets, even okay. in department stores, when I lived over there in the 90s, they all had that blue lighting. Just Interesting. To yeah. Wow, that shows how na- naive I am. That's just yeah, I'm not in, not in the yeah, drug world at all. Come on, Jim. Reed over here telling you <laughs> <how> it is. <laughs> come on. But you, um, so anyway, going back to the showcase and the course and stuff, like you obviously had already come to that course. I've done one of the courses as well. That's how I started as well. And like a lot of people are going up and doing those courses with literally no experience of ever being in front of a room, ever written anything, hold a microphone or anything. But you had clearly come with the skills from previous work of, you know, as Joan Rivers has said to you, basically doing warm up stuff and almost doing comedy. Well, I, I tell you what, I did have the skills to do, and this is, a, I think, a massive disadvantage in terms of how I've progressed as a comic. I had stagecraft and stage presence, so I knew how to yeah. hold a room because I, I was used to addressing, you know, thousands of people in auditoriums, and I was a reasonably loose corporate speaker, as in I would not need too much of a script, and I kind of liked it, and I was a bit funny. But that got me a long way in covering up for the fact I wasn't actually doing anything very authentic. So I could come up with all right material, but I could deliver it as if I'd been going quite a long time. Oh, yeah. And I think that means, and I, so I did really well for the first couple of years because I was, I was probably came across as better than a lot of my contemporaries, but I wasn't better. And I didn't have to dig as deep for material because I just hid behind technique. So, and I, I definitely, and mm. even now actually, I can be quite lazy with material because I sort of know, that's why I like MC, I kind of know I'll probably be all right. And I, even if I've not got a single new joke in there, I can probably hold the night okay and still come across as all right. So it's not a good thing at all. So I didn't I didn't have um, any great comedic genius. Um, I didn't have any genius, but certainly anything I could do was, was stagecraft related, but a bit too much so. I've spent the last seven years trying to get less polished because no one really wants a polished 
comedian. That's like, there's nothing funny about someone looking like they've got their shit together. Yeah, true. We want it's them like to piss have... off. Yeah. We want them to be yeah, complete brushed mess. hair, and yeah. clean teeth, and a bit of money yeah. in the bank. We don't like you. So, yeah, how does, <laughs> how, how does that look then as a performance? You know, obviously, if you're very scripted, what are you... Is it to do with um, interaction with the audience? Is it the delivery? Is it allowing time and space? How, how does that, how would you? It's all of that. Yeah, all it's of all that of that. Okay. So I, I, what I do before I got, if, if any, because I used to teach people to do public speaking. I, I think we talked about it um, last time that Chris Sutton came on my um, yes. podcast and it was because I'd um, worked with some ex-Premier League footballers to become after-dinner speakers. So I do do bits of training for people in public speaking and after-dinner speaking. And the, Big, well, a couple of big things that are so important, as the same in comedy, I think, is to think about turning up. So the last thing you think about before you go on stage is I, I need to inhabit it. I need to be present, absolutely mentally present to that moment. And how I'm going to say it is far more important than anything I think I'm going to say content wise. So go for the how, not the what. And it's exactly what you just said, but so hard to do. It's like it, it, your words will never save you. So what are you going to, it's it's your kind of presence and your capacity to be loose. I remember I'm reading something or listening to Ramesh talking about, I think his second show. And because he had such runaway success with his first show, he got really stuck with his second show, like second album syndrome. Mm. And I think it was someone like Sean Walsh or somebody who was one of his contemporaries just turned up to one of his work in progress second show and just said, mate, you don't seem like you're even enjoying that anymore. Like mm. loosen up. And he realized he was like, I've got to make this amazing. And so it's weird, isn't it? Because with creative endeavors, the harder you try, I know when I have a bad gig nowadays, it's hard, it gets harder to know what the bad gig was. In the beginning, it's so obvious. It's like I did that corn king stupid thing. Now it's a bit more subtle and alchemist. And if there's anything I can pin it down to, it's being too desperate to be liked and it isn't going well. And I'm really a bit like, like me, like me. And they're like, no, thanks. So I think there's something about all of those things you said, but Christ, if I knew what that was and I could bottle it and mm. wheel it out, I'd be, I'd be selling out arenas. You know, I, I don't know. I know the theory a bit. I don't really know how to do it. Don't yeah, know, but what do you guys think about it? Because you're both obviously doing the same thing, right? Trying to deliver something loose, authentic, funny, brilliant. You know, it's really hard. Jim's yeah. trying harder than I am. It's because of Graham Tucker. It? He's, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. taught me all about this improv. The old Tucker effect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, need, I need to see Graham for a cup of tea. That's my problem. Um, I, it's funny you say about sort of just needing to be liked and stuff. I think that is kind of a, a, a core element of anyone doing creative stuff. I, I, I think you can turn that off. Like I think you can learn to maybe harness it a bit, maybe, but I don't think you can ever necessarily turn that that off because that's kind of why we're on stage isn't it you cannot exude it though right like you can um yeah there's something about so you know when a gig's going badly somebody said to me quite early on that's when you slow down and take all the time and go into the audience go talk talk, talk to them whereas at that point you're inclined to go right i'm not even going to talk to you you're a yeah. very unpleasant inconvenience i'll just yeah. recite the last bit of my yeah. script and i'll go and actually that's it takes a lot of courage to do that but if a gig's going badly now and i think people don't like me i won't say i think it's not a fatal error to go well i can see you're not enjoying this as much as i am but i'll just try and find something to have a bit of banter with them about and sometimes if somebody cracks a bit and warms to you they start to go your way um but yeah i mean i, I don't some people say don't they I, I really don't care if i have a bad gig anymore like it's their problem and i think no i'll always care. i'll yeah. always think it's my problem yeah it's hard, yeah. yeah. Instant rejection. Always, I think you'll always internalise that still. Like, I don't think you stop doing that. But I think as well, if you're having a bad gig, it's okay to sort of, like, 
say that on stage. O- audiences know that you're having a bad gig. So there's no point trying to pretend you're not. But if you like... don't always know as much as you think you do, they do. Really? I, I definitely think that. And I think as we've got better, then they know less. So I think now what we think is a bad gig would probably have been a good gig when we were newer. So when you think about the uh, yeah. audience, it just depends on their expectation. And they, I do sometimes think when, when we think we've had a, I think we know when we've had a stinker. Yeah. But if it's just one of those where you think they're looking at you a bit like you're not really for me, I don't think they always are. I think usually they're just Dutch. <laughs> no, I can say that because my kids are half Dutch. I'm not just being <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the caveat. <laughs> but yeah, I do a lot of gigs in Holland and they do have to look at you like that and then come up and say, that was hilarious. And you're like, Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you hated me. You didn't smile yeah. once. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the perspective angle is interesting. Because I guess you're, is it because you as a performer are maybe looking for something different from the gig or you your, your, you your parameters are different? Yeah, I always say that when I'm training people in public speaking, I'm like, you're the only one who knew what you meant to say. So if you yeah. go totally miss that middle bit and there was a really good bit you meant uh, yeah. to say, yeah. they didn't know. So yeah. either say it later or go like, yeah, okay, I could have done with that, but I'll work on without it. They don't know. And it's same with comedy. They don't know what we were trying to do or, yeah. you know, they don't, they, they don't know. So yeah, I definitely think I, I see it a lot as an MC. I see acts who haven't died on their ass referring to dying on their ass live or at the end going well I enjoyed that shame you didn't and I think actually no you could have just given them your twitter handle and gone off on a high and they'd have gone with it so yeah uh, no self-deprecation on stage Jim that's my advice to you I I've said this to Jim as well yeah mm-hmm. is yeah. Jim a bit of a self-deprecator he is yeah he's very hard on himself Jim, uh I have been through my previews a bit but I think I will knock that out for I think I think it can be a turn off for people actually if you're yeah. too like oh that was ru- oh sorry guys it's rubbish. I've done a lot of um well that's getting cut in the final show. That's okay. I do I mine is my favorite one for new material nights for others or when I'm doing new material myself is you know and and uh, this is going to be lots of new material so you'll be seeing some jokes making their debut and their farewell performances. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, and yeah. everybody goes great. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> So, but I think self-deprecation is a tricky one, isn't it? Um, but what if it is your nature? Like, what if that just kind of is, you know? It is my nature too, actually. And I'm really trying to unlearn it a bit because I know people have said, also people think it's a bit disingenuous if they think you're quite funny. And you, yeah, there's certain status hard, to it? being up there with a mic. And yeah. you're up there holding a microphone. They're probably thinking, well, how much of a dick do you think you are? Or you wouldn't be there. We know we're up there because we are complete dicks. But they might mistake us holding the mic for having some conviction in our own stories it's the self-deprecation yeah, self <laughs> thing is hard because yeah. sometimes i think it's a mixture of things isn't it because one it can be like i say some people might think that you're fishing um yes. you know fishing for some sort of validation or mm. some some nice kind words which is generally i don't think I, most people i know that self-deprecate aren't looking for that it's just genuine like they feel crappy about themselves or or unenthusiastic about what they've just done so that that's a big part of it, I think. And I, but I do think, yeah, people. I think it is a bit of not a turn off. That's probably not the right word. But I think people, you, you can irritate people by doing. It. I know I because I'm I'm like it as well. Um, and I think it does irritate people sometimes, especially when they think, oh, you're you're doing an amazing thing. You know, you're doing. Oh, look, you're, you're you're doing the you're you're living the dream. You're 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 making a living doing what you love. Stop whinging about it. I think there is an element of that and also it's a scale isn't it so I used to yeah. do stuff about how I looked and I do stuff physically about you know yeah, changes yeah. in my body and, and that's and that is it's my right to say that I know what my body used to be in my 20s I know what my body's like now but then I realized well there will be women my age in the audience going 
well, sorry, like to me, yeah. you look good. And I don't think I do, but it's not very fair on me to be going and look at my big fat stomach. And I'm this, because they might be like, what? That's made me feel really bad. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, I did, I did realize don't really do, because you're not actually just punching down to yourself. You're punching down to anyone who might also think yeah. you look worse than you do or still got a tummy after a cesarean or whatever. Maybe they're thinking, well, hold on a minute. You've just set the bar somewhere. I think it's too high, even though I think I know who I'm comparing myself to. So I think there's a physical element as well of like not yeah. punching down about how you look because that might be really upsetting for someone else. That's really interesting as well, because you're, you're showing a very sort of empathetic sort of approach to your audience there, which obviously I think is important because you need to create a relationship with them on stage. But a lot of comedy, a lot of comedians like to make themselves the butt of the joke. So, you know, rather because you don't want to punch down, maybe you're punching up against some sort of you know society or something but politicians or whatever but if you're making yourself the butt of the joke but at the same time trying to make sure that you're not then involving members of the audience in that, that it's a, that's a tricky minefield to I think you can navigate. just avoid certain stuff so I do avoid physical I have a couple of things a couple of jokes about menopausal bodies but they're not it's quite a bit more loose mm. and couldn't really offend anyone and, it, and it's just my observation that's kind of tied into sort of politics and stuff but I do know when I did um when I what show was it Super Cali Fragile Lipstick my first solo show was largely about my great, son's autism great name by the way yeah, yeah, I wish I'd saved that name for when I had a good <laughs> show but anyway not to worry can you bring it back can you kind of re-resurrect it somehow <laughs> yeah Ca Super Cali Fragile Lipstick the sequel yeah. and that's there's no room on the poster then for my <laughs> face but yeah but um but that show was was about my son's autism and about his love of animals. And it had like little callbacks all the way through, like his commenting on me. I'd say something and he'd be like, well, no, that can't be the case. You know, me saying a, sort of, um, a saying about an animal in it and him mm. debunking it. But that show was really well received by people who were autistic and by the National Autistic Society. And it was a real championing of my autistic son and complete punching down. If to anyone, it was always to me. Like mm. I learned this life lessons from my son, who's way better at life than me. And it's funny how it was always the people who had nothing to do with neurodiversity who would get, and it wasn't many people got offended, but I sometimes get people going, I can't believe you're like doing a whole show, taking the piss out of your son when he's autistic. And I'd be like, well, it's not taking the piss. Yeah. Yeah. It's celebratory and people who are autistic like it. So, um, and I would sometimes say, well, what's your link to, do you have a link to this? Well, no, but you just shouldn't be talking about that stuff. Like mm. it's not yours to talk about. And I would think, no, my relationship with my autistic son is absolutely mine to talk about. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not claiming to be autistic. And so it's funny, isn't it? People just hear the word autism and they think, oh, are you, and you're doing a comedy show about autism. It's like, no, I'm doing a comedy show about my relationship with my son who's autistic. Yeah. It's different. So people do get a bit aerated, don't they? Well, it's things. often people that haven't had any experience of those things. I yeah, think I find comedy I guess, or autism. Well, yeah. about <laughs> all number of subjects. It's generally people that have no kind of, yeah, conscious kind of um learn learning of it or or knowledge of that experience and and they hear the word yeah, yeah they hear the word it. they've heard the offense. word and they're like oh you said autism that you shouldn't have said that and you're like well just listen to the end of the gag and you'll see where it goes <laughs> it's not it's but that's a very it's a, that's a very so i mean i know that was i don't know if they were they were in person or also yeah i did have some things, in person once people really? come to the show you know when you get random mm. people turn up in edinburgh who um who you've usually flyed in thinking i don't care what you look like or how you, who you, how you seem just come in and then they're the person who fucks that will show up you're like oh, oh. fuck i had that yeah. with the gig in, in london once with a magician friend of mine d riley i don't know if you have a gig with him great like, i don't have to do any magic anymore and um we were they were flying people on the, the street to get them in and that no one had turned out there was like four people in the audience in the end they were just cajoling people on the street come in it's free you haven't got to pay whatever come in come in this big group came in of about seven or eight uh, i think i don't know if it's a hindu or not but anyway it was ladies drinking and they just 
I think they're the only ones that didn't pay. And they fucked oh, really? up the entire night. And it was just like, it became the them show, basically. It's awful it was, when that happens, isn't it? And then you yeah. feel, because we're so desperate for audience. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I should have. Yeah. Although I will say, you don't always know, do you, when you're flying? You, you can't always see the train wreck coming. Like, it can be the most innocuous of people who are like, oh, I really wish they hadn't come in. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would have been better to just do to the four. Like, it would have been absolutely fine. But but then, I don't know. It, it's not... Is that your? It's not your fault, is it? It's just the way it goes, and it's just, and then you just have to negotiate it on for the gig. And I end up doing zero material that night, absolutely none, and just it's just crowd control. It's like being on an open top bus with a hen party on board, and you're just like, right, I'll just try and say some things and get the bus around the city, and then I'll yeah, try stop and being sick over the side, please. Exactly, and, and I'll try and get to the pub as quickly as I can to catch up remotely with where you guys were for the whole yeah. of my working night. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. exactly. I don't mind a heckler now. I think that's one of the things I like. I do quite a lot of the kind of rougher clubs. I do the boat show a lot on the Tattersall Castle. That can be quite a rowdy one. I like nothing more than <laughs> taking on someone that boat. down. Yeah. I don't know why it's that boat. I think because it gets really like in your face and quite laddie. And I'm always like, come on then, guys, let's do this. I don't, yeah. like <laughs> I don't know why. There's something wrong with me. <laughs> no, that's good. So you, you enjoy, because a lot of me, I have to admit, I'm not particularly keen on taking on hecklers but you 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 quite enjoy that i don't like apathy i'll take a heckler over apathy i don't like um i don't (laughs) like anyone to sleep in my audience call me old-fashioned uh that's annoying uh so yeah someone awake is good starting point and then if they can speak that's good but i do you know what i think it is is um what you realize emceeing and as a comic is everybody wants the heckler taken down usually even their mates do yeah. Often, especially their mates do, because they're like, if you don't shut the fuck up, we're getting thrown out. So well, shut up, gang, don't you know? people? Yeah, <laughs> that's part of it, isn't it? Like people kind of do that to get, a, you know, to almost like kind of, hey, boys, look, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm going to be the one that sort of makes a f- fool themselves to upset. And nobody them. wants, yeah, it is that, and it's, and yeah. every, the room wants them to get taken down, and the room doesn't, the room doesn't all feel like the heckler feels about you. It's easy for heckler says something horrible. You know, don't give up the day, Joe. Well, you're not funny, love. Women aren't funny. The whole room isn't thinking that. The whole room yeah. is thinking, why did that dickhead just say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. You, if you remember that, then all you're trying to do is get the room hunting as a pack against the heckler. So you just need to say something which the room goes on board with you, makes the heckler know they're on your side, and then you've dealt with it. I do also think perhaps those kind of more silverback heckles where someone's trying to be the alpha in the room, it probably has a bit of a different dynamic with me at the helm. And probably they're going to really look like a dick if I if I take them on yeah, and then yeah. they really beat their chest, everyone's going to be like, what on earth do you think you're doing? So I think possibly if it might escalate, escalate with chest beating, it does a bit less, but also I try and do it in a way that makes them feel all right. I don't try and really annihilate them. I just try yeah. and make them know that everyone's paid yeah, good just, money not to hear them. Yeah. Just be quiet. So, <laughs> Silverback heckles, a lovely, lovely way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> have you had any where you've had to like chuck anyone out or get anyone removed? I've or? definitely been at gigs where people have been chucked out. Yeah. And I, uh, but I really hate it. I always feel like I failed if that happens. Um, there are a couple of those gigs. I mean, yeah. Comedy store will just take people out at a certain point because they don't want it ruining the night. Yeah. Um, the Tattersall Castle have security. Um, there are a few that will, I mean, and nowadays Top Secret has a kind of, um, you all know what the cards would be, Jim, but as you know, I'm not very good at football, but you get a certain <laughs> coloured card yeah, yeah. Yeah. and then you get certain other coloured cards. And the second card is you end up getting put behind Perspex to watch through, it's not soundproof, but to watch from the back of the room where you can hear the comedy, but they can't hear you anymore by the bar. And then the third card, you're out of the club. Fucking hell. Are I bet some cards? people actually... There's, <laughs> there's two yellow and red and then maybe you just get to maybe you get a warning then one card then another yeah. card. i might have made up the first cards 
But I didn't know about the Perspex thing. I wonder if some people that always becomes like a badge of honour, like, can I get in the Perspex? Yeah, like Mr. and Mrs. Get in the Perspex. <laughs> yeah. There's a reference for your younger viewers, listeners, <laughs> people, humans. <laughs> oh, man. I this is, this I, is, sorry, God, Jim. Just really quickly, I saw a video mm. once of someone at Top Secret. I think it was Top Secret. And um, I can't remember his name. He's a guy who used to MC a lot, a really nice guy. I can't remember his name. That's so embarrassing. But he uh, put out a little clip on his Twitter and someone threw a pint at him. Ah. I think he, I think he was like half stripping on stage because he was like taking the piss out of the, the guy or something. And yeah, he threw a pint and it like missed his head by about. So presumably, including the glass, not just the liquid. No, the glass. Yeah, sorry. The glass. Yeah. No, I mean even the liquid wouldn't be fun. Wow. No. Yeah, I can't remember who that was. It's really embarrassing. But, I think yeah. anything that actually, I, I, you do hear, don't you? Sometimes of people like physically getting like I've heard quite a few MCs say there've been times when they physically felt at risk at someone, and I do think again probably. It's less likely. I've never thought a bloke's going to come and punch me. I've seen blokes look at me like they would very much like to, but I've never, and I've sometimes said, I can say that Colin would really like to punch me right now if I was the same gender and age as him. But, and they think they probably would, but I think probably, yeah. It's horrible though, isn't it? When you think the risk, you definitely hit, people do put up with some real shit on stage, don't they, that they shouldn't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're just there to do your it's thing. Your job, isn't you? it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I know. There's always that classic, you know, do I come and shout at you doing your job in IT? But I tried not to resort to that one. I do sometimes do like a referendum. I'll say someone came in really quick off the mark at the boat show the other night. I literally hadn't even said, hey, welcome to the boat show. And this guy shouted like, whatever, show us your tits or something. I was like, oh, well, you came in early. I said, right, just wait a minute, sir. I'll let me just open the night. And then he did another stupid thing. I said, right, let's just get this out of the way. I said, what is your name? And he said, and I said, who are you here with? And it was a stag do. I said, are you the stag? And he was like, no. I said, who is the stag? And whoever it was. And I said, so do you want whatever his name is to totally fuck up your stag do? He's like, no. I said, right. I said, and then he carried on. I said, like, let's just do a quick referendum. Because when <laughs> I said, right, by way of a cheer, who has paid 20 quid to hear Colin shouting at me? Nothing. I said, and who's paid to hear the comedy in the whole room? I said, right, so the room's voted. Why don't you shut the fuck up? Not yeah. get your stag do straight enough and oh, we'll do it from here. But he, that was all within the first... Oh I god! Even so, yeah, it's just, seconds. Wow, <laughs> like, he probably been plotting that all day. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't oh wait god. to get to the comedy tonight, guys, because I'm gonna rip it up. I know, and then you, you know, just think you literally, twat. yeah. Who actually? Who, who actually? Who actually invited? Yeah, he Colin? probably wasn't even invited. Yeah, who actually yeah. invited? I told you yeah, not to invite Colin. In the office that no one yeah, knows like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck, Colin's coming. Colin, Colin's such a twat. Who invited Colin? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the brother. He's the brother of the of the of the bride. He had to you invite him. He had to invite him. him. He's yeah. my cousin's friend. Yeah. Oh, no, he's my father-in-law. <laughs> so yeah, I do think. Um, but actually, that's. I think it's real ammunition as an MC because if that goes well, the room's so on your side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. it now. The room's like we love you. Yeah. And you do anything. So you buy the heckler can buy you a, a free pass for the night. Yeah, I suppose it's it good to get away. it out of the way early doors as well. Like instead of halfway yeah. through or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Own the room. But yeah, just so now I, I think, um, yeah, I think you do slightly expect it in certain venues and I kind of slightly like it, but people do sometimes get removed. And then I always, and sometimes they'll ask me at the break, they'll be like, Kelly, do you want that group removed or can, is it all right from your perspective to keep them in? But I will always try and tell them to shut up for the acts. So I will go yeah. really hard and say, you know, we've done this, but if you do that on the acts, when you will be taken out. So, yeah. cause it's, it's not Which fair is, on an act trying no. to actually do proper material to have to deal yeah. with that at all. Yeah. 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 I wondered, I just, this is sort of strange in comparison, but do you ever feel like, like for example, if you put out a tweet and someone's horrible about you, which is pretty obvious, most of the time that happens, um, you become more aware of what you're tweeting. 
or what you're saying out loud. Oh, does that ever happen when you're doing a comedy show? Like, are you more aware of thinking, oh God, they're not going to like that next joke that I do? Or, that I'm, oh, they might, you know, they might kick off again in a minute. I think, I don't know how it is for you, Jim, with this, but I'm very, on social media, I very rarely had a touch wood, I'm sitting at a wooden kitchen table, very rarely have I had much trolling on social media, but I'm really careful. What I say is authentic, it's not, but I'm very careful about what I will and won't jump into um, and sort of subject matter I'll go with. So I, I kind of tread that very, very carefully at the risk averse side, possibly uh, to my detriment sometimes. But the thing that really worries me on stage is not, I will absolutely adapt my, I'll sort of decide, actually, I don't think I should do that bit. Like I've got bits about Brexit um, that I realise in parts of the country. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but you, you're just like, oh, God, this, but this is all based on the fact you're against it. And if yeah. you're in a certain bit of the country, you're like, this ain't going to be funny. Mm-hmm. You don't get it, that why, why I'm thinking it's funny. But it's I do worry as an MC because you are thinking so quickly on your feet. I've gone quite close to, obviously, I'm inherently, I hope I don't have any opinions that are offensive. Um, I hope I'm a person who's not trying to hide some awful side of myself. But you do sometimes go very close to the line of something that would really not be an okay thing to say, because you're trying to be so quick and sharp. And I've had to pull myself back from the brink just in times so I've thought actually that could be you cannot say that to that person who's mm-hmm. you know visually impaired or whatever that's not that's not funny it'll get a laugh but that's not actually okay so I've definitely had things where I'm like oh don't your brain's going quickly but do not say that and you hope you have the edit button just before it comes out of your mouth a couple of times I've had to say I can't think of an example but I've said afterwards um you know actually something to kind of caveat it and say actually that came out but actually what I want to say is this and correct it in the room because yeah. I wouldn't want that person to feel bad and I don't want to be cancelled so. yeah we just want to I be think, loved yeah I think you do have that edit button though I think like you you just by nature of being an empathetic person and good with people I think you just probably naturally do have that and normally it's like when your brain if you're like driving and then I don't know if you guys have this. You sometimes think of like really horrible things in your head, and like I can't remember who told us on the podcast, and it's like that's your brain like pushing the boundaries. So you might think like I could drive off the road right now, like into a tree, but I won't. But like that's my brain giving me the boundaries. It's probably the same on stage where you kind of you do kind of know how to pull yourself back in just by nature of being a sort of people person, empathetic person. I think you generally do, but you could, it's a bit like if you're with your mates down the pub and you're feeling very relaxed and you're, you, have, you would, would say something that if someone just took that out of context, yeah. it would sound really bad, but you're mm. doing it as part of a joke and you know your opinion and they know your opinion. So they know that was a dark joke as opposed to I actually think that. Mm. And I think that's the risk is that bit of you might come out and, and it is a really scary thing to think that if that one tiny thing got out, out of context in it and as a, we have a duty don't we on stage not to say a thing that might be really unacceptable in any way even if taken out of context but it is that is a bit risky and I do sometimes think oh god I, I don't know I mean, I'm not a controversial comedian and I, um, I, don't, I, I challenge certain things for certain demographics but I, I but yeah I, I do worry that my edit button might be sort of marginally after my mouth's opened I've definitely done it at corporates like I did a, I did a after lunch speech at the Ivy a few days ago and I did not take to the people there at all I hope none of them are listening but anyway I could have done two speeches at the Ivy this week so let's assume if they are it wasn't <laughs> but they were they were they were right 
Tory, but somebody was defending Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock, and I was like, fuck, and this isn't my kind of crew. Anyway, yeah. I made, I, I was only on stage 20 minutes, and I did twice make jokes about, well, I'm only doing this for the money, and I think you're a bunch of dicks type jokes twice. And I could see the first one, they were like, huh, and the second one, they were like, what? <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a bit too, don't actually tell them what you think. Um, so yeah, I, I think, and that was an example where I, do, and I sometimes do it in corporate hosting. I'll go tiny but, bit over the line. Yeah, but like, I, oh, that was a bit much. It might, yeah, but at the same time, like, yeah, stack it to them. Oh, most of the room will be like, I'm yeah. so glad you said that to the yeah, CEO. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I really hope this doesn't get back to the yeah. CEO. <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't mind if you all think it's funny, but I do want to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to take a quick photo, Jim? Oh, yeah. Sorry, photo. Yep. Me in my kitchen. I normally do these in my study. I was, but, yeah. say, I was going to say right at the start, you've moved from the location. From yeah, start. puppy related move. Should I move this out of the way? So you can actually oh, that's actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let me double check. Right. I think that's all good. Is that his job, Jazz? Yeah. No, it's not your only job, but you don't do the photos ever. No, it's always Jim. He just insists on on, on just, taking. I just don't them, trust yeah. him. Just don't trust Guys, him. Hit the right button. Stereotype marriage. I don't think you should break the rule. Change the rules a bit. Keep it spicy. Shall I do the intro to this one? This yeah, time? I think you should because I always do the intro. But I think it's because Jim doesn't remember to do the first the first bit of the intro. I can't remember what the words are. <laughs> oh, no what is this podcast intro. again? Uh, welcome to the FYP, uh, <laughs> 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 the football <laughs> podcast. That, uh, <laughs> it's only a long title, to be fair, Jim. Yeah, it's one word. You've exactly. got yeah. one word to remember. Yeah. yeah, it's not in my wheelhouse to remember. No, because Giles has come up with a quite a fancy sort of... Um, it's not fancy. Very, I literally sorry. say three things. Uh, I think you good, should do it this time, though. It's a very good, just to mix it encompassing up. phrase. But I, I know what you can do. You can write down what Giles says and well, read it out. Yeah. I could do, couldn't I? <laughs> I'll send it to you in a WhatsApp. And you can... I want to put my own spin on things, you know? I want just to do my own idea. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a good idea, but it won't be taken, adopted, no. unfortunately. Well, that's the best creative <laughs> we don't... advice I've given you. Don't write it down and bloody read it out. Stop <laughs> mithering. Right, well, I'm going to do it this week anyway. But Giles, we'll have to reconvene and do the top Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Go and, have your, go and have your interview. Okay. Enjoy okay. it. I'll try and fuck this interview up. Callie, thank you so much. And I watched you. Thanks, I, Callie. I watched you on QI. Was it last night or the night before? You oh, were yeah, fantastic. You came second. Oh, I, I, I never watched it. I never watched you were it. Robbed. So you were robbed. You should have won uh, it. I don't know. As long as my hair looks nice and I get your hair looks very nice. That's all. Yeah, you get a few yeah. lines. Yeah, exactly. The yeah. only comment I ever get is about my bloody hair. I don't know. I bother doing those. <laughs> like, is it a wig? I'm like, that's no, my hair. And, Did you like any of my jokes? <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> well, I'm glad oh, you man. liked it, not for my hair, Charlie. No, I liked it for <laughs> your <laughs> jokes. For you were very funny. His next thing yeah. is going to be, and your hair looks great. Yeah, well. yeah, know. Exactly. And back are your from teeth that. real? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Callie. All Thanks right, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go, Callie Beaton on the Blank Podcast. Uh, I mean, I did that bit okay, but obviously before the interview, that was a car crash. I think we need to stick to our roles. Let's, ne- let's, never, like let's never change it up again. You were very good there, though. That was very smooth, the uh, the outro. That was excellent. Mm. Yeah. I don't think Not it's hard, to... that bit, though, is it?
I think, you know, as Palace, <laughs> no, it's not actually, you're right. It's not, it's just actually, and even I still get it wrong sometimes. Um, I think it's good to mix things up sometimes, keeps everyone on their toes, keeps keeps the pod fresh, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sometimes there'll be people, people listening think, oh, what's happened? I, might, I, just I mean, uh, I think it came up, this came up on Callie's podcast. So if you go and listen to Callie's yeah, Namaste below. as fuck um, podcast, you she, she says, and I think this has been, um, said about us before that our voices aren't dissimilar enough, really. Yeah. So uh, yeah. people might not even notice. That's that's true, and it's, it's almost the Streisand effect. If you yeah. draw attention to it, then people are now thinking about it, but they may not have realized. Streisand effect. Do you not know? You not heard about that? No. So that is the when someone doesn't want something. When you draw attention to something that mm. you didn't want people to. Um, to notice inadvertently. For example, it comes from when Barbara Streisand had a new a house in the Hollywood Hills or something, mm-hmm. and she tried to, or, or was doing work on it or something, and she tried to ban photographers from taking photos of this house or this work. But right. by in doing so, that made people more interested. Yes. So in, in the end, more people knew about the house than people she wanted initially. Right. Interesting. Draw attention to something inadvertently that you didn't want people to notice. That's the Streisand effect. Ah, interesting. Which we've just done with our voices and the intros and all that. I think they touch. You know what? I've just watched um, Paul Thomas Anderson's last movie, Licorice Pizza, which was very good. Sort of coming of age kind of movie. And there is a sort of subplot in it where the, the gang of... Uh, the teenagers that are kind of the the protagonist and his girlfriend and some other uh, their sort of gang go and help do some stuff at Barbara Streisand's house, uh, and I'm oh. sure there's the, yeah maybe it's that house that she moved into. I'm sure that like there's a big thing about this new house, so oh, it could be could have be. been that. There they end know, up trashing it, it I think, if I remember correctly. But yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why she didn't want to get out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a great movie. I recommend it. But yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of it called that. But there is, I mean, I think we all do that to a sense of, don't we? we yeah, yeah. There's things or that we don't want people to notice or mention. Sort of invert, accidentally sort of do it anyway. Maybe yeah. subconsciously you do want them. To, uh, actually, that, have you read, read The Secret or heard, you know, the book The Secret? That uh, I know that. The, the book very yeah. well. I used to work in a bookshop and we did used to sell a fair few copies of that thing. Yeah. Um, but then they thought of, on these sort of weird Hallmark movies that are based on it, haven't they? With, it's um, all a bit mad. Yeah. Uh, but that that there's it's, a bit in that about that you subconsciously, you do want people to know these things, even mm. though you think you don't, it's all a bit mad. Um, anyway, uh, thanks, Callie, for coming on. Yeah. Sorry, we've derailed that big time. Um, fantastic guest. I mean, you can see why she's done so well with her career in, in comedy and everything she does. Just a brilliant person mm. but thanks you know she was very honest and, and and open in this episode about some of her imposter syndrome and dating experiences and 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 all that really and i think you don't get to know someone unless they are kind of open on these pods so i really appreciate her her doing that and it's just a joy to talk to her but i knew it would be yeah she's lovely absolutely lovely person and yeah was very candid and honest with us about all sorts of different aspects of her life and like you say very very funny and it's just great to see her popping up on you know shows i I think I mentioned at the end, we, I watched her on QI the other week and it was just great. It's like, oh, there's Callie on there, you know, really exciting yeah, yeah. to see her doing so well. So it's, it's fantastic and um, wish her all the best for the future. Uh, absolutely. And you can hear more from Callie um, in our patron version. We've got 
extra content with all our guests um, at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash blank podcast it's two pound fifty a month to sign up uh, which is not bad at all considering you get an episode every week with extra content so uh, and you get them 24 hours in advance and you get them with no adverts i mean what more could you want i know for 250 a month um so do sign up because of course next week giles there'll be another guest on the blank podcast yeah they will you said it's like oh there'll be another guest <laughs> no another we, you know guest. we are i mean we are obviously like most pods we are re- recording and releasing at the same sort of time and we're only a few weeks behind we're doing some cracking guests at the moment really cracking mm. guests. so uh some really exciting ones we're very up. lucky aren't we with the guests we get we are we're very lucky indeed yeah we mm. do uh, we do all right what have we done to I don't know. This luck. Two random guys in their bedrooms. You know what? <laughs> my cabin, but you know, two guys in the corner of the. You know, could you sleep in there thing. though, if you had to? Do you know what? I could actually in the next bit. Yeah, and in fact, actually, there's a sofa bed in there. Oh, there you go. It's all a mess right now, but it's going to become a. Yeah, so it, almost Theory, a yeah. bedroom, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. So if you if I've slept in there, then I've had an argument with my wife. So you'll mm. know. Yeah. You'll know, you'll know why. Again, why would I publicize that? Again, size and effect. Why would I? Why would I <laughs> I'd be sleeping in there, but who knows? The beauties of life. Anyway, um, I think we should wrap up there and yeah. um, come back next week. Again, it's your turn now to wrap up the pod. So I'll yeah, hand, so if, hand over the reins. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, our social media handles are at Blankpod. And you can get us on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook, I think. I mean, does people do people still use Facebook? Anyway, um, no, I think it's getting, it's getting it's a bit old, isn't it? It's for the yeah. old fogies. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And um, we'll see you next week with another episode of The Blank Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you.